Hey, every once in a while, over in the nursery, a little baby will get going. You know what I mean? Can you follow me on what it means to get going? They get upset, and I will come out at the end of the service, and I will come over here, and you can hear them kind of down the hall, and bless their hearts, those nursery workers are doing everything they can to be kind and to try and engage that little child, but the child is upset, and then they are trying, and various people are trying and trying to, but who, here's a question for you, who is the person that can settle that child? Yeah, the mom. The mom gets there and poof, everything's fine, everything's good. It's not like the nursery workers are doing it, they weren't poking the kid, they weren't pinching the kid, they were being sweet, they were being kind, they were doing everything. But in the midst of that child's crisis, there was only one person who could solve it. Her presence calmed the child. Well, I'd argue when we get in crisis, there are things God does that only God can do. And as badly as that child wants his or her mother, we need God infinitely more. So I want to talk about why. Why is the Lord's presence so critical in the midst of hardship? So you've got a Bible. If you turn it to Genesis 39, we're going to work our way through that, answering this question, why is the Lord's presence so critical in hardship? Kind of gets you up to speed. Uh, God creates in Genesis 1 to 11. Humanity pushes back. God goes into a covenant with a family. He starts with a guy named Abraham, who's kind of a happy pagan, living in southern Babylon, and uh, calls him out. He said, I want you to follow me. And so he takes him to a new land, and he, Abraham and Sarah have to trust him for a son. That, they finally have that son. His name's Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah have twins. Their names are Esau and Jacob. God chooses to work through the younger, Jacob. And Jacob has a, a dysfunctional family. Actually, there's about four wives and 12 sons, and there was one wife in particular he loved, and her name was Rachel, and he couldn't have a child with her for years and years, and finally he did, and that son's name was Joseph, and he was Jacob's favorite, and his brothers were jealous. Uh, Dad, Jacob, bought Joseph a multicolored tunic or coat. Well, the, the brothers were so angry, they, they threw him in a pit, they were going to leave him, and then they sold him into slavery and faked his death to his father. Killed a wild animal and put blood on it. And, and, and so Jacob thinks his son Joseph is dead. Brothers note he's been sold and he's on his way to who knows where. We'll never see him again. They're wrong about that. But that's where we pick it up. And so in chapter 39, verse 1, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So Joseph's in Egypt. That, that's a long way from Israel. It's, he's been sold, and you know, there's no, uh, no Facebook, no FaceTime, no Messenger, no, I mean, it, it, I mean, he's it, cut off. I mean, there's no reason to think he'll ever uh, connect with his family again, and, and he's a foreigner sold into slavery. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. We're going to see this phrase four times in the verses we go through. What, 21, 23 verses? Four times. 
The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, second time, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So, so, I mean, you see that something's going on with this Joseph. The master doesn't quite have it figured out, but something's happening. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him an overseer over his house. And all that he owned, he put in his charge. Remember, this is a foreigner. I mean, I, we wonder, how are they communicating with language? Did Joseph pick it up? We, we, don't, we don't know. But he puts a foreigner in charge of his house. And it came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. Verse 6, he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. He's given him full trust. Just turn that over. So there we see it, you know, I mean, the Lord was with Joseph, yeah, he's been sold into slavery, I mean, it's turning around right now, and we see that, I mean, Joseph's got in favor, and we, we just expect an upward trajectory here in Joseph's life. I mean, if God's with you, nothing goes wrong, right? Some of you laugh, because you know, you've, you've had the experience. Well, Joseph will, too. So here we go. End of verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire on Joseph and she said, lie with me. He's being propositioned. But he, Joseph, refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house and he's put all that he owns in my charge. There's no one greater in this house than I, and he's withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So Joseph's first reason is, look, man, this guy's put me in charge, and and he's trusted me, and he's given me carte blanche, and and the only thing he's withholding is is you, and it's just not right. I've been given a trust. And maybe we could pull this off. Maybe he's trusting me. Maybe he'd never know. But man, I just, man, I, I can't do that. We, we've made a deal. There's, there's integrity here. I, I, can't, I can't go that way. But then Joseph has a second reason. How then, end of verse 9, could I do this great evil and sin against God? Man, there's a God who's been with me, and I understand from, from his teachings and from what my parents say and what I saw in my grandparents that, that God has a a purpose for marriage, it's one man and one woman, and, and there's, there's fidelity, and there's trust there, and there ain't no way I, I'm sinning against him by, by violating someone else's marriage covenant. No, I, I can't do it. Can't do it. But the wife, man, she won't be put off. As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now, it happened one day that he went to the house to do his work, and none of the men in the household was there inside. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. Come with me. Man, just just quick. What does Joseph do? 
And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. Joseph's response to temptation was textbook. In 1 Corinthians 6, so so Joseph's anticipating the writing of of Paul by 2,000 years. The Corinthians are a, a church that's involved in immorality. And Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee immorality. Flee. Don't, don't get close. Don't see how close you can get to the line. You know, if you're a married person, if you're a single person, if you're looking on stuff in your community, flee. Don't get close. Joseph does that. He lives out the heart of God. He lives out the plan of God. I'm not going to be involved in that. He lives righteously. God will reward that, right? I mean, he, he's doing the right thing. You, we won't be treated wrongly for, for doing the right thing, will we? People wouldn't abuse position and power when we're doing the right thing, would they? Here we go. And when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and put outside. She was humiliated. That's in marginal reading, not in your text. She called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he's brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. She's going to play the foreigner card. He's different. Remember, we're Egyptians. He's a Hebrew. Let's let's maintain our solidarity here and let's put him out on an island. Take support of us. Us. It's her deal, but now she's drawing these men in. And remember, this is the the, the master's wife. I don't think these guys want to cross her. He came in to lie with me and I screamed. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. She's lying. God won't let a lie stand and win, will he? She's not going to get away with this, is she? Verse 16, so he left his garment beside her until the master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, the Hebrew slave. There she's playing again. Remember, 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 he's Hebrew. We're Egyptian. He's different. That Hebrew slave whom you brought to us, putting on her husband, came in to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me. And fled outside. Now, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. You bet it did. My question is, and we don't know, burned against who? My opinion. If he really thought Joseph did this, I I, I think he would have taken his head off. Would have executed him. I don't know that. that. That's speculation on my part. Uh, but he's got to do something. And Joseph's the powerful one. He's got to live with his wife. So Joseph's master took him and put him in jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. Okay, here's my deal in my relationship with God. I do what I think is right by God. I expect things to go well. And if if it doesn't go well, 
I call God into court. And I say, that's not fair. And I get angry. How can I be treated with this? How can these, how can you allow these circumstances to go this way? Man, I lived righteously and this happened. And really, I, I haven't had that hard of life, to be honest with you. Some of you have had a lot worse. So the stuff I'm facing isn't even that bad. But I, but I will call God into court when I don't think he is coming through in the way that I think he should. And I get mad and I think, if that's how you are, I'm done. And you know what the, the, the sad part of that is? It's in those times of crisis when things go bad that we most desperately need God. We, we need to, to sense his presence. Now, hopefully you're not like me. But if you have that tendency, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Because it's when we lose the job, it's when we get the cancer diagnosis, it's when we find out our kids are in rebellion, it's when we find out our, our finance, our job's ending, it's uh, our finance in trouble. That's when we most need the presence of God. And if our go-to is going to be every time things go badly, I'm done, that's not right. Hey, Joseph tells us we can do it right, quote-unquote. We live in a sinful world. And people who are not ethical, who are not honest, at least in the short term, may get their way. And the hope we have is there is a God who is just and will make things right. So right now, Joseph's been put in jail. That's not great. Verse 21 starts this way, but, but's always a transition. But, here's our phrase again, the Lord was with Joseph, third time. The Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Now the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because why? The Lord was with them. Whatever he did, the Lord made him prosper. Four times. Four times we've seen that phrase, the Lord was with him. And I would tell you, in the midst of adversity, when things go bad, what we need to know is that the Lord is with us. Now, he's omnipresent, so theologically that's true. It's how aware are we of it. And what we're going to see here over the next few weeks, is God is very in control of these circumstances. And it's going to be crazy what he does. And he's going to lift Joseph up to a pray, place where he's second in command. And he's going to end up saving his family who sold him into slavery from starvation. And we'll, we'll let the story play out over the next few weeks. God's in control. But it's not going well for Joseph right now. He's not being treated fairly. Have you been there? Do you know what that's like, where it's not going well for you? You're not being treated fairly, and you think, God, where are you? Hey, he's in complete control. And we need to be aware of the presence of God. So we remember that. Because when I get things in bad, I, I forget. It's a lost cause, and things are falling apart, and man, man I go. And you remember, no, there's a God who's in control. So why is the Lord's presence critical? Why is our awareness of the Lord's presence come critical amidst hardship. Here's why. The Lord's presence reminds us that He's in control. 
We, we sense him in that. We sense him in the job loss. We sense him in the cancer. We sense him in the child's rebellion. We sense him in the broken relationship. And remember, yeah, I don't get this. This is hard. This is painful. But he is in control. Now, this, this account of Joseph will turn out well. Sometimes it doesn't always turn out well for God's people. And God is still in control. 2,000 years later. Jesus comes and he dies and he's tried and murdered, executed in a, in a mockery of a trial. He rises again and the, the gospel goes forward and a, a guy named Stephen is preaching to the Jewish leadership and he's just speaking truth. He says, you guys, it's Acts 7, you guys have been rebellious against God and he, he talks them all the way through. Here's the history and your rebellion is seen here and that you put Jesus on the cross. Well, they get mad. They don't want to hear truth and they pick up stones to stone him. And Acts 7, verse 56 says, Stephen uh, looked up into heaven and said, I, I see the Lord standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, usually Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, but Stephen says, I see him standing. So, so Jesus is aware. Jesus is looking down on this. And I want to pick up what happens in Acts 7, 59 and 60. It says, uh, so Jesus is aware, but it says, verse 59 says, they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Sounds like Jesus on the cross. Having said this, he fell asleep. Sleep is a biblical metaphor for he died. He passed away. God was sovereign. He was right in that. Stephen died. But in his presence, Stephen could, presence of Jesus, Stephen could call out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And he could love these people who were executing him. And you know what? That started a, a persecution of the church, and that drove the, the early Christians out of Jerusalem, and that spread the gospel like crazy. God used that to move his kingdom forward. And I would argue, I would tell you that every time you and I get something, it's not always going to go right. It, it goes great for Joseph here over a time, but it, not always. Stephen died. Maybe a loved one dies. Maybe you, you suffer a setback financially. Maybe, maybe that, that relationship, it doesn't get healed. It doesn't get reunited. What we need to know, though, this, is that, that God is present. Dallas Willard's an author. Uh, Dallas Willard lost his uh, mother at an early age, but he writes of another little boy who, who lost his mother, too. And, and he would often come into his, his father's room, and, and he would sleep in the same bed because he was, he was scared. And, and, and he would lay in the bed, and, and he would ask his father this question, Daddy, is your face turned toward me? If you said, yeah, little boy was good. I can go to sleep. Why? Because I know nothing that's going to happen to me won't happen without, without you seeing it. Daddy, is your face turned toward me? Here's the good news. In Christ, God's face is turned toward us. Now, you need to know that came at a price for Jesus Christ. See, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin in our place. So when he was on the cross, he literally became sin in our place, and the Father turned his back on Jesus. And that's why Jesus cried out in Matthew 27.46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatakanini. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Jesus was forsaken by God, so you would never have to be forsaken by God, and I would never have to be forsaken by God. We could always know that the Lord's face is turned towards us. Man, I cannot promise you, man, if I follow Jesus, it'll be good, it'll all be good. I can't promise you that. That's not the history of God's people. And they suffer, and, and brothers and sisters are suffering around the world right now, but what they have is the assurance of that God's face is turned toward them. We may not be in control, but He is. We may be doing everything right and still suffering, but, but He's still in control. What I would tell you as an application of this, what we need to do is we need to cultivate an awareness of the presence of God. That's why we ask you to be in the Bible every day. God reveals Himself in His Word. As we ask you to take time to worship and and to reflect on His Word. Why? We're cultivating His presence so we know that presence. Because you know what? If if you're not in a crisis right now, uh, be a good cheer. One is on the way. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Isn't that encouraging? But the good news is God's face is towards you. And we don't have to fear those things because He's sovereign over it. Well, how's it going to turn out? I don't know how it's going to. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I can't promise you a certain ending, but I can promise you God's in control, and He's seeing. His face is turned towards you. He's seeing what is going on. And you know where this message really conflicts with our culture? We're a culture that likes to tell us we're in control. Uh, Pastor Daniel Schreiner is a, a, a pastor in Portland. And he got a quote, and I've, I've got it on here. Um, Joe, did he put that quote? There it is. So he got this. This was a, um, an advertisement for a health club. Beginning of the year, and this was to push people to health club. So here it goes. The new year is right around the corner, and you're, you're either going to own the year or the year is going to own you. It's... How much? It's 100% your choice. It's in your hands. That's the first thing. Simply by taking all the responsibility and putting it on your shoulders, you become empowered. Next, you take the feeling of empowerment, of, of invincibility. How about that? The feeling you can run through a wall, you can take action. You can take action like you've never taken action before. You become prolific, you become consistent, and you let no obstacle stand in your way, no matter what. No more pity parties, no more whining, anything. You are in control, you. That's our culture. You're in control. That's a lie. You're not in control. And you can do all the health stuff, all the stuff you want, and, 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 and you just, you're not, I mean, a cancer just seems really random to me. Bing, 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 so many get it. How'd that happen? We're just, you're not in control body breaks down. So since I'm, last 10 years, I've had back issues. And so once in a while, I'll get them. And, and the people, the team around the office will see it. And where I have trouble when I get them is going from sitting to standing. And I've got what my wife calls the little old man walk. And they'll be able to say to me, well, what happened to you? What did you do? And you know what my answer usually is? I don't know. Well, did you lift something? No. Man, I'm not in control of my health, and neither are you in control of your health. But that's what they're telling us, and they're telling us we're in control of our life. We're not. And what happens is we think we're in control, and then we get a crisis, and then we're, we're, I'm out of control. How do I deal with this? Because you never were in control in the first place. God's in control. 
And that's what we're counting on. Not you, not me, God. His face is turned towards us, and he's sovereign over what is happening in our life. God is in control. Last Saturday, Nebraska won their football game. That was exciting. Yeah, I was watching the game, and with a minute to go, Lamar Jackson makes the interception, and they hit the the pass for 30 yards to, uh, what, Robinson, Wandale Robinson? So so it's pretty clear at that point it's going to come down to the kicker. And if you're watching the game, remember they, they go over to the bench, and they're Lane McCallum's there, and they're, they're on him, and, and guys are coming up to him and encouraging him. And trying, What are they trying to do? They're, they're trying to strengthen him. They're trying to calm him down. They're trying to, and, and then, you know, it happens. They get the ball centered, and, and they run out there, and there's 11 guys who run out there, and, and nine are up on the line, and, and back there there's a holder, and then the kicker takes about three or four steps back. I think, dude, you're, you're out there all by yourself. And, you know, I think Nebraska is about a population of about a, let's just say a million eight. So there's probably a million seven people watching you on TV. 80,000 in the stadium. You're all alone. And, and, and the guys on the bench and Coach Frost and all those guys, they can't run out there and be with you. It's you. Think about that. And then to kind of heighten the stakes, Pat Fitzgerald, the Nebraska, uh, the Northwestern coach, Three times calls timeout. Why does he call timeout? Lane, I want you to think about it, dude. It's all you. It's all you. I loved watching interviews of this young man. I, I, everything I think, is he's, I think he's Christian. He said, you know, God's with me, and, and whether I make or miss the kick, no different with God. He's in control of that situation. Make or miss. He happened to get it over, and he's the hero, but you know, if he had missed the kick and they'd lost in overtime, it, his life would have gone on because, because God is in control. But I thought, what a picture. You know, we go through times, and, and there's times where we just get separated, and, and just we feel really alone, and it just life takes us there. But the good news is, even though Lane McCallum is standing out there with nine guys up front and, and a holder and a, him by himself, it's... He's not by himself. God is with him. What a picture. Wherever we are, wherever we go, we're not alone. God is with us. Why is the Lord's presence so critical amidst hardship? The Lord's presence reminds us that He is in control. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the record of Joseph. And he did everything right and was treated wrongly. And some of us know that feeling, and and we wonder why and where are you, and and it it just doesn't always go that way when when we do everything right, everything breaks perfectly for us. And sometimes we don't understand the cry, we don't understand what's going on in our lives, but you do. And like the little boy sleeping in his father's bed, we want to know that the, the father's face is turned towards us, and the answer to that question is, in Jesus, yes, it is. Because Jesus took our uh, punishment, our turning away from God upon Him on the cross. Thank you for Jesus, which allows us to know the full presence of God. And it's His name we pray. Amen.